4: Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick here for this week's Know Your Foe episode and joining me, a great one, E.J. Snyder. Uh, He's going to tell us all about the Chicago Bears. E.J., how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Ken. This is going to be fun. Yeah, I look look forward to these always. Meeting new people is is one of the great things about the work we do. You do bootleg football uh, about the
5: Chicago Bears on a weekly basis? Uh, Bootleg football is about the whole league. And yeah, we do weekly recaps of all the action uh, with a little look forward. That's on YouTube with my partner, Brett Coleman. Uh, And my second podcast is Bears over Beers. And that's on Windy City Gridiron, which is the Bears site on SB Nation. All right, well, terrific. Well, let's get
4: let's jump right into it. Uh, you know, one of the things I always like to start with is to review the off for the Bears, and obviously, you know, we know who probably the biggest acquisition was. But take us through some of the big acquisitions they had, the draft picks, and whatnot.
5: Yeah, this season really was uh, has hinged on the addition of Justin Fields. The Bears' uh history <laughs> or lack of history with good quarterback play is well, pretty much near legendary. They've been decades without a true leader at the quarterback position and Justin Fields brings hope to the franchise more than anything else and that's been something they've been sorely lacking. Um it started there, but the rest of the draft was pretty strong as well. Tevin Jenkins looked like a good pick. Unfortunately, he's been hurt. Uh, he actually just got back on the practice field a couple of days ago, but there's a lot of potential for him to be a long term starting tackle. Um, Larry Borum, all the way down in the fifth round, uh, offensive tackle from Missouri, uh, has come on again, got a couple starts in the last week, uh, last couple of weeks at right tackle and shows some promise there. Khalil Herbert, when David Montgomery went down, uh, showed maybe even a little more juice than david montgomery so he looks like he's in the long-term plan so overall just that would make a pretty good draft class um but the guy to way down in round seven chris tonga the dt out of byu that's a guy that i think can be a down eater for the middle of the bears defense for a long time to come
4: no, I, I absolutely loved him coming to this draft. And he was a guy, the Ravens drafted a fullback with their last pick around five. And, you know, it, they have such age on the defensive line and picking any any defensive lineman would have made a lot of sense. Barmore in the first round I liked, uh, but I liked Tonga and, you know, I liked offensive tackles that were of a developmental type. But, but Tonga was the guy who I really kind of had that pang of regret about the Ravens not getting instead of Mason in round five.
5: Yeah, there's defensive tackle is one of there's a lot of picks in the draft that don't carry a lot of value or or carry a lot of risk for positional value. Defensive tackle has been deflated in positional value, and those guys tend to be very good values because you could get solid players. Really from about the fourth round on down, I mean, Tonga's a seventh round player, but there's players all the way four, five, six, seven, where you can pick up a defensive tackle. You don't have to go out and get one of the top Mm -hmm. ones. And that guy can turn out to be a guy that ends up playing, you know, four or five hundred snaps a year for you and eating up a lot of early downs. And it's just a great value for teams that know what they're looking for.
4: Yeah, that may be that may be part of the problem. Though is that people see a four or five hundred snap rotational player and they think, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to use a second round pick on a rotational player like that. But hey, you do need those positions filled, and when they're not filled, you can see what will happen. And uh, in fact, they demand specialists. So you know, while I'm happy the the Ravens, you know, have have been pretty lucky drafting defensive tackles in particular, uh, you you, you got to have even better luck to get the Tonga as a seven. The Ravens have never had a seven. Uh, that's been really a, a, a particularly good player. So uh, that's a great pick. Okay, well, how about the other, other free agent acquisitions this offseason?
5: Yeah, they were Bears are very active in free agency. The the big one, uh, of course, not knowing that they were going to get Justin Fields was Andy Dalton. That was gonna be their stability, their bridge, their uh hopefully they hoped better than average quarterback play going forward. Um, but there are a ton of other guys that Ryan Pace, the general manager, went out and got that have played big roles this season. Angelo Blackson, while we're staying on the theme of defensive line, has 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 been a guy they got that was not a huge and heralded signing, but has played really well for them. Again, in the trenches, so a lot of people don't notice, but he's been very effective. Um, Added some receiving threats. They went out and got Marquise Goodwin. Uh, They got Demir Bird, who was in New England last year. Um, Resigned some of their own guys. Picked up Damian Williams as really a running back, too. Again, not knowing that they were going to get Khalil Herbert. And the running back was running back depth was one of the things that hurt the Bears last year. Uh, David Montgomery was. The lead back, Tariq Cohen, got hurt, hasn't really produced in a couple of years. And they didn't have a great option. They ended up running Cordero Patterson um, and sort of piecing some other pieces together. But, you know, going out and getting a, a guy that's got a proven pedigree uh, as an NFL running back, also taken a year off because of COVID. So he was fresh leg. Damian Williams was a great addition for this team. Uh, we've seen him get some quality downs um, early on. And then they just really filled in the gaps. They went out and got guys like Jesse James, the tight end that was, you know, start out with Pittsburgh and then was with Detroit. Kristen Jones, who was a Bear, then became a Lion and is now a Bear again. Um, resigning guys like Dion Bush and one of the bigger ones, DeAndre Houston Carson, not a name that a lot of fans know, um, but DHC, as he's known to Bears fans, has played uh, special teams always for them and been a tremendous ace, but he's actually taking some starter reps as a third safety and has played well in the field this year. You're on mute.
4: That often happens. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that was a great question. I was like, yes. Yes. Well, here's the question again. Damian Williams has only 331 carries despite being age 29. The Ravens have a bunch, a collection of backs that are that age and older. And uh, and they just released Le'Veon Bell. In fact, uh, today we're recording late on Tuesday night, but uh, never had more than 100. Well, once had more than once in a, 100 carries in a season with Kansas City two years ago. Uh, those are fresh
5: legs. Yeah, absolutely. And quality like he's a guy that's been efficient with those limited number of carries never ascended to a starting role, but has played the number two role really well and in certain positions running back being one of them we've seen them with quarterbacks as well the guy that can hold the clipboard come in cold you know run a quarter when your starter goes down those guys are really critical and the bears found that out firsthand last year because they ended up with some injuries and they didn't really have a go-to rb2 and that left them wanting late in the season for not being able to convert those yards a guy like damon williams comes in he's got fresh legs he's got skill uh he doesn't waste runs and uh, he's a good receiver as well, so not a guy that you have to be really down or scheme-specific with. You can bring him in almost any down and distance, and he can give you what you need. He's a pass blocker? He is a pass blocker. He's big enough to do it. I would I would put him squarely in the average category, and that is good enough not to get your quarterback killed, and that's not bad.
4: Okay. All right. Now, let's go back to fields for a second, because one of the interesting things that happened in this draft, I guess you'd say, is that Trey Lance uh, probably was a little bit reachified by the 49ers at number three. Correct. I think I have that right. I, I love uh, the, I love the verb <laughs> reachified. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, how did you feel about that being a draft guy? And then, you know, your Bears getting fields after that Uh work out well?
2: I uh,
5: worked out extremely well if you're a Bears fan. Not anything against Trey Lance. The entire scenario that led up to Justin Fields being a Bear is something that somebody, maybe me down the road is going to write a book about. Like there were so many cascading points and decisions. It is it's like the ultimate butterfly effect in the draft. There is no way, we should be honest. There is no way Justin Fields should be a Chicago Bear. Like There were so many teams above the Bears with more draft picks, more firepower, and more need, quite frankly, if that's even possible, than Chicago for fields. There's no way he should have been available, even for the Bears, to trade up and get him. Trey Lance was one of the early dominoes in that whole line of events that caused that to happen. Obviously, if he gets taken off the board at two or three, it's a very different scenario for the Bears. Um, Trey Lance gives Kyle Shanahan a lot of things he doesn't have in his current starter, Jeremy, Jimmy Garoppolo, but he's choosing not to use them. So it's Fascinating! It's a wild thing to watch play out in San Francisco this year that he has a very, very different quarterback in Trey Lance than his starter in Jimmy. And presumably the reason they went and got Lance was because of Jimmy's limitations, a very similar scenario to what played out in Southern California with Jared Goff and McVeigh saying, well, I can't do this. I got to go get a guy that can do those things to get to the next level, going out and getting Matthew Stafford. Presumably that's why Shanahan went after Lance. And then he doesn't use him. <laughs> he uses him on like packaged run plays. I think Lance could be a very good player down the road. He's extremely inexperienced, one series, you know, one year as a starter, North Dakota State, a second year in which he played one game. Mm-hmm. Didn't even play um a ton of games in high school. If you add up his like high school snaps and college snaps, they're they're far beyond most other uh NFL starters. So he's still got a lot of developing to do. Unlimited physical potential. The guy he reminds me of the most is Steve McNair, a guy that had, um, again, not a super developed passing game. Trey's farther along than Steve was as a thrower coming in. But when he takes off as a runner, very similar physical profile. He can run people over. He can run away from people. Just a guy that can really do it all at the quarterback position is just going to have to learn how. And I think he will. But it's been really frustrating to see his usage in San Francisco be so limited this year um, without any sort of ostensible injury or reason for that happening.
4: Yeah. it's It's a, a little bit of a strange situation because I look at that four-year declining option in terms of a drafted player. And first of all, when you draft a player – I'm of the opinion you basically get maybe 90 93 percent of that value from that first contract and the rest of it is only the frictions to keep him in town uh, for after that and then you're paying market value. you know you, you're, you're paying what you'd have to pay anybody for that. Now some positions, you can't really get that uh, you know that market value player that really meets your needs. but uh, boy to, to, to make him sit a year, behind Garoppolo, not find a way to get him in. I mean, would you think that had they not won, what, on Monday night, that he he would have been in next week or in a couple of weeks?
5: Honestly, we've had this debate on bootleg all year long. And, and if it was us, which it's not, very clearly, um, we think very differently about player development and usage than Kyle Shanahan does on a lot of players, not just the quarterback. But he would have been for us very early like within the first month he would have been seeing a significant share of snaps up to maybe a half at least a third of the snaps we want to start to ease him in in packages and understand what he has um we understand best chance to win and that you know Jimmy is more polished but Jimmy's limitations like Jimmy is not one of those guys that's continuing to progress he is plateaued he he can do what he can do and he cannot do things that he can't, which is the whole reason, presumably, that they moved up. That's the thing, is third wasn't their slot, right? They made a big trade to go up to spend and go get that guy as an asset, and then they're not using him. And it's it's just a fascinating development case. We'll see what happens next year, but uh, he would have been in much sooner for a much larger percentage of the snaps uh, if it was up to me, because... Garoppolo is a known known. It's not that he's a guy that's playing at a very high level and giving you a great chance to win against opponents. You probably shouldn't win against. And those are the quarterbacks that are really worth their money, right? Guys that get the wins they're supposed to, that's okay. Guys that can go out and, and steal you a couple because of their skill set. And when we talk about Justin Fields, that's really what we're talking about is a guy with the ability to go out and take some, he shouldn't get, um, you, you want to put that on the field. That's the whole reason you pay to move up and get a guy like that.
4: All right. It was, it was certainly an out, outrageous amount of draft capital they put on the line to do it. Um, the long run cap situation for the Bears. Now, I'm sorry taken taking down this Trey Lance rabbit hole, but uh, what players are, are a priority to sign right now? They're third or fourth year guys, third year, maybe a year early. The fourth year guys obviously headed for free agency unless they're resigned.
2: Yeah, that's
5: a very difficult question for the Bears. And, and one of the problems that makes um, the Bears situation a little less inviting or a lot less inviting for a potential GM candidate if the Bears were to decide to move on from Nagy and Pace after the season is that typically if you're an incoming GM, you would want uh, a friendly cap situation where you had some money to spend or a bunch of draft picks. Or assigned core of young players that you could really develop. You want one, maybe two of those three things if you're being really greedy. The Bears have zero. <laughs> the Bears have a really limited cap space. They've made some tremendously poor spending decisions, um, adding money to the Nick Foles deal. Uh, this year they're paying Jimmy Graham $9 bucks. As of two weeks ago, he had two targets on the season with one catch for those $9 million. Um, they let Charles Leno go because they said they couldn't pay him. turns out they have to go sign Jason Peters off the street because that handicapped their offensive line. They gave a big extension to Danny Trevathan, whose wheels ran out just at the wrong Mm -hmm. time. Um, the Mac contract is is obviously huge, um, and usually you're getting what you're paying for with Khalil Mac so that's okay but they went out and signed Robert Quinn to a very large deal last year he was hurt didn't produce that caused a lot of friction and pressure this year he comes out healthy and has been producing at you know I would say a commensurate level, but it's still a ton of money wrapped up in his deal so. Bears fans will say things like oh well the Bears have a lot of expiring money and you look at their roster and you say yeah yeah, they have about 15 guys under contract after the season too so yeah. you got a lot of holes and you know yes you were lucky enough to get Justin Fields but you also have to put a team around him and that's going to be difficult to do they're going to have a lot of low price signings to fill gaps because they have a lot of money tied up in players that are not going to be contributing long term uh, you know Foles Jimmy Graham and Danny Trevathan are three. You've got some decisions coming up. Akeem Hicks is due for new money. He's getting to an age where he's starting to break down a little bit. Um, But he's a fan favorite in Chicago. We'll see. Mm -hmm. They have chosen not to lock up Allen Robinson. They really don't have anything locked up long-term in the receiving core. They've got Darnell Mooney, who's a great fifth-round draft pick who overachieved last year and I think is a true number 2. They don't have their alpha number 1 ride receiver. So they're either going to have to spend a high draft pick. They don't have a lot of those either because they spent some to move up and get fields. And uh, Ryan Pace is famous for bundling those to move up a few positions and grab players. And what that leaves you with is very few draft picks, not a lot of cap space, and not a ton of those, uh, just the kind of players you were trying to identify, young core players who are locked up long-term and guys that you're really going to protect. They did resign Roquan. Right. So he's a core player on defense. They re-signed Eddie Jackson. That doesn't look like a good big money extension right now. He's not played up to that contract. He plays decently, but it's big money. Um, They're hoping Tevin Jenkins is the answer long term at tackle because they don't really have anything else. It's just not a super solid situation in terms of team building overall for Chicago right now.
4: All right, that's that's a uh, remarkably centered and non-pro bears uh, view of this situation. I mean, that's uh, uh, obviously a difficult situation to be in. Baltimore, we're, we're we're we always feel fortunate about to have the GM and the, uh, the franchise building mm-hmm. qualities. You know, it's it's amazing. It doesn't matter how many times in a row that Baltimore's methods succeed everybody on Twitter still wants the 32 year old wide receiver who hasn't played in two years, whenever they're available. Uh, you know, everybody wants the, you know, the next running back, who's that age. I mean, have we learned nothing? We had Des Bryant last year. We, we, <laughs> we had Le'Veon Bell this year. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> uh, I, I ought to have a, you know, a, a set of players and just a like a, a postable, you know, copyable format and word that I can dump into a tweet anytime I see that. But anyway, there's, there's certainly obviously, you can't educate all of Twitter on these kind of things or, or, or argue with them. Uh, let's move on now to, to Fields himself and on, on the offensive side. Talk about his strengths and weaknesses a little bit, what we've seen so far in his rookie year.
5: Yeah, tale of two cities so far for Justin Fields in his rookie year um, started off that, again, this staff had a very interesting choice early on and said, nope, Dalton's a starter, pure and simple. He doesn't have to win it. Uh, Justin's a rookie, we'll bring him along, quote unquote, when he's ready. Gave him, famously, almost no reps with the starters in camp, right? He played with the threes for the majority of camp, moved up to the twos, then had a decent preseason performance, got like one or two practices with the ones. Nah, that's what we call foreshadowing in the business. <laughs> so Andy Dalton gets hurt. Justin Fields takes over. And the first two games are abysmal because the staff does nothing, less than nothing, to help him. They don't adjust protections. Um, they don't play to his strengths, which we'll talk about in a minute. And he gets massacred on national TV. and And to the point where the punditry pretty much across the spectrum is lambasting the Bears staff saying – This is negligence. This is horrendous. This is as poor as we've seen of trying to create or match a game plan to a player's strengths, especially a young, talented player. That may have been a blessing in disguise. That may have been a silver lining that sort of woke them up and said, hey, we need to do some things. Um, They should have known it on their own. Uh, But that really was the call to action that we're going to need some extra and different protections for Justin Fields. And you've seen that work itself into the Bears game plan over the past few weeks, which gives him more than two seconds to try and get a pass off um, in which he can be successful. No quarterback with less than two seconds before he gets hit, um, which is what he was seeing on a majority of the snaps. And that's not an overestimation. Isn't going to be a guide to success for any quarterback, especially a young quarterback. But Justin Fields is special. As a player is very good size. He's got a cannon for an arm uh, and he is extremely smart. He is not quite a mental level talent, I think mentally, but he is, he has incredible play recognition and he's a very smart guy. He tends not to make the same mistake twice. Very competitive. His strengths as a player, uh, certainly the rollout game boot passes to the outside mobility within the pocket and the ability to break the pocket tremendously good speed at his size. Um, Those are the things you want to basically build a game plan for Justin Fields to showcase. So one of the
4: things we've noticed about Lamar Jackson, who
5: has obviously
4: some similar qualities to Fields, is that he is extraordinary in his ability to have the right defensive end or right outside linebacker, bull our left tackle, whether it's Stanley or Villanueva, is right into his lap. And he takes a bump, doesn't move his eyes downfield, moves around in the pocket or leaves the pocket as necessary. But it's not as it would be for maybe Kirk Cousins or Tom Brady or other non-mobile quarterbacks, an automatic dump the ball off or
5: hit the ground even. Uh, how about Fields? Has, has he shown those characteristics already? He has started to over the past few weeks. He has that in his game. You could see it at Ohio. There was a couple of times uh, scouting him that you could see him. He took it like a direct shot from a defensive tackle and basically just kind of hip checked and sloughed them off. A, that takes. A- a physical understanding. It also takes some mass, but it's a skill thing. It's an angle thing. It's understanding that subtle movement within the pocket. And then, yeah, the ability to keep the eyes up and strike down the field is what is going to set fields apart and make him make defensive coordinators fear. Him. You could tell. He had a couple of those plays in the early going, even when he was just running for his life and getting slaughtered. He still got outside the pocket and let off a bomb with accuracy down the field. And you could tell people would be like, well, can't let him do that very often. Now, over the past couple of weeks with protection, he's shown that had the great touchdown at Soldier Field a couple weeks ago, where he spun through a couple of defenders, went right, went left, ended up doubling back. Peters gives a tremendous block against Warner, and he scores like that 's what he brings as a runner, but it 's that real ability to escape true pressure right in your face, directly, reset. And deliver a 50-yard strike that's going to make defensive coordinators go, oh man, I wish we played him in the first half of the year because second half of the year, (laughs) even in the Steelers game, you saw it more than any other game this year. He delivered more high quality down the field throws, um, actually leads all rookies in that category, um, and over the last three weeks leads almost all quarterbacks in the NFL in that category. Is high quality throws over 20 yards He has that ability It is within his game And he's going to do it more and more often Um, The play that really set apart In the Steelers game Was he missed Mooney On about a 40 yard out Down the right field line He missed him by like 6 inches And his reaction to that play I loved He looked at him He licked his lips And went back to the huddle He's like I missed that by 6 inches And you all know it And I'm not going to miss it again Mm -hmm. And that's it. He has a very even keeled demeanor. He's not too high, too low. Uh, Even on that great touchdown run, he celebrated a little bit, went back to the sideline. He expects to be great. And we're starting to see that come together. And that consistency should scare everybody. That's going to play him for a long time.
4: All right. All right. Well, really looking forward to seeing him play for the first time. Hope it's hope he doesn't light up the Ravens the way he played against the Steelers, but uh, looking forward to seeing him. Let's talk about the offensive line. Now, take us take us across from left to right. I always want to look at where are the weak gaps, where are the potential targetable places for free runners and whatnot for this Ravens defense.
5: Well, uh, yeah, offensive line is is a work in progress. We talked about Jason Peters coming in to stabilize the left tackle mm-hmm. position, which was triage and, unfortunately, absolutely necessary. The, the Bears' offensive plan going into the year um, was to let Charles Leno go play the rookie, Tevin Jenkins, at left. He was more familiar at right in his time in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but they thought that he had plenty of athleticism to move to left. Um, they were going to play Jermaine Effetti at right tackle. Uh, Sam Mustafer, who is uh, UDFA from Notre Dame at center. Uh, and that leaves Whitehair and Daniels at the guards, right? That was a pretty good plan. Tevin Jenkins hurt his back in camp, never made it in. Uh, they'd let Leno off the roster. They had nothing really behind him. And, uh, Alex bars, also a Notre Dame offensive lineman, who's more of a swing guard tackle, um, they, they didn't have any answers, and they got destroyed over the first couple of weeks. They had no run game and even less pass protection. So they go out and sign Jason Peters. Uh, they famously call him on his fishing boat and say, hey, um, are you done? W- would you come play left tackle for us? And he says, yeah. <laughs> he basically walks into camp, takes a starting job, and becomes the best offensive lineman in Chicago um, almost by default, which is a scary proposition. So left tackle, Jason Peters. Uh, Left guard, Cody Whitehair, who's switched back and forth between guard and center and has been a very good player. He is one of those players that Chicago signed to an extension. This year, he's been uh, arguably terrible. Um, There are several games where he's looked like the worst lineman on the field, offensive or defensive, and that's not a familiar position. Cody Whitehair has been a very solid NFL player in both spots. There's something up with him this year. I don't know whether it's scheme, injury. Nothing's been said um, ostensibly, but if you look at the tape, you can tell. uh, He looks lost. uh, He's getting bowled over. Just things you haven't seen from me. His wrestling background, he's one of those country-strong farm kids. Nope. Not this year. He's been a weak link. Mustapher, uh tries really hard and has developed. The fact that he's even on an NFL squad is a testament to his toughness and his smarts. He is not big enough to handle the big uglies on the inside. Um, you go back and look at the game against Tampa Bay. Um, Dom Kansu just dominated him bent him over backwards a couple times. It was really not pretty. And he's been getting beat up pretty good all year on the inside. He's a guy that you need to help. And you know, along the offensive line, if you have a link that you need to help, that opens a gap on the other side. If you're constantly shading one side, asking a guard to chip in, asking somebody to pull around and get him, um, it leaves you with less flexibility. So Mustafers. Pretty much a liability and he was their plan. And again, they didn't have a backup. Hey, if Mustafer doesn't work out, we'll do this. It was we're starting Sam Mustafer. Um, James Daniels has been quietly good, uh, center from Iowa now playing guard. He's bulked up tremendously. Saw him at camp a couple of years ago, and he is a he is a physical specimen. Also a wrestling background. He's been holding his own right guard very well. Right tackle's been a bit of a rotating. Have position. they
4: re-signed him?
5: I'm sorry. Not to yet. To James Daniels. Yeah. He is a potential. Okay. Um, they really have to decide what they're going to do with him. And, and and this week might be kind of key to that because if, well, next week, really, we'll talk about Tevin Jenkins in a second coming back and what they might do with him. Right tackle has been a bit up in the air. It's been Jermaine Effetti and some other players. But as of two weeks ago, Larry Borum, the fifth-round rookie from Missouri, came in and has looked pretty good over the last two weeks. So that looks like a player you want to leave in place. Um, that's the line left to right that's going to start uh, against the Ravens, and we'll see where they go from there. Okay, so there's two
4: players I want to
5: ask you about. For The for this first one
4: is Tevin Jenkins, because he's a very popular draft time here in Baltimore. A lot of people thought he could have been number 31 mm-hmm. uh, and probably wouldn't have been unreasonable. Where did the Bears get him? What
5: number? Uh, they player? got him in the second round, and it turns out that's because of injury status um, that was not disclosed. Mm-hmm. It was a tough year for injury. They got him uh, round two, pick number 39.
4: Okay, so certainly a pretty decent number there for him. I would have before the draft, I would have I would have taken the under on that, uh, meaning Mm -hmm. higher. Yes, for sure. But but, uh, one of the things about him that was funny was I thought he had multiple arm length measurements. And I'm a big arm length guy. The Ravens, Mm -hmm. by the way, always draft 34 inches and up on their tackles for arms. They're notorious for doing that. I don't know about the Bears, but if the Bears had decided to play him at left tackle, that tells to me that arm length is not the biggest concern for Chicago Bear, for the Chicago Bears.
5: Yeah, they liked his toughness and his athleticism for sure. Um, athleticism still, I mean, honestly, left and right tackle, you need athleticism for either one because edge wrestlers mm-hmm. are not going to line up exclusively on one side. They're going to go to the weaker tackle and try and exploit, and that's been the same way for the last five to six years. Um, but it, it was a strange decision because he is one of those guys that um, played – Primarily at right. He did have some snaps at left in college, but not many. He, he was solidly a right tackle at, at Oklahoma State and tremendously good, ridiculously physical, a nasty finisher played with just a tremendous demeanor and didn't get beat very often. Um, when he did, it was against NFL caliber players that were getting drafted, right? Athletic specimens, um, had some struggles against Texas. Joseph Osai uh, took it to him a couple of times. But generally, he dominated the competition across from him. He clearly was one of the top tackles. Unfortunately, there's an issue with his back. Some teams, I think probably all teams maybe knew about it. Different teams, as you know, rate injuries differently. Um, turned out, it was a rough gamble. It's always tough when you take a, a pickup high and you have an experience an expectation that he will play and contribute right away. And then he can't or doesn't. And that's been the case with Jenkins. He took zero snaps in training camp. The injury flared up almost immediately. And just two days ago um, was cleared for full work in practice. He's been back on the practice field for about 10 days, but he hasn't been cleared for contact. So um, it sort of opens that window for them to evaluate him and bring him back. And that begs the question, where would you put him? Because you don't want to displace Peters, who is – arguably your best lineman and playing that way. Um, Borum looks good at right tackle over the last couple of weeks. He's been holding his own. So do you want to displace him with a guy that has zero snaps since training camp, or do you want to take one of the struggling guards, maybe white hair and slide, Jenkins in as a guard until one of those tackle spots opens up either through injury or if Peters moves on after the season or whatever else. So There's a lot of debate um, Chicago media right now about what's going to happen with Tevin Jenkins. He came out and said that he's more comfortable at left now even though he spent most of his time at right um, because mm-hmm. he's been taking all his mental reps at left and, and everything else. Um, remains to be seen whether that's true on the field, but it's a fascinating situation. Talented player okay. and, and how he works in. Re-
4: really interested to see how that works out. Obviously, he was a favorite. The other a guy I want to ask you about is Daniels because as the right guard, he'll face a lot of three tech, one on one matchups with Calais Campbell. Mm-hmm. Has he played anyone like that so far? Uh, that's a, it's a, a bigger, more physical, really low player uh, who can.
5: Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, that, that's the thing. Is the NFL is uh, <laughs> what was it that. Uh, um, the urban Meyer said it's like playing Alabama every week, right? You got, you got skill all the way across. There's, there's very few, you can't hide in the NFL. There's always going to be a very talented player across for you, but you know, twice a year he goes against a guy like Kenny Clark. Um, in Green Bay, who is a highly underrated defensive tackle, uh, plays with tremendous leverage and strength. And Daniels can lock him up one-on-one. They're both going to win some because, again, they're both very talented players. But Daniels is a guy that can take on players like that, especially now. He's added probably almost 30 pounds, and he was not particularly light coming out of college. So, he's 325 now? No, uh, he's like – I bet he's about 335, and it's solid muscle. Hmm. The guy is built like a table. He is – just so strong Um, and plays with good technique. He's not one of those guys whose names you hear a lot, and on the offensive line, that's a great thing. (laughs) That's a really good thing. You don't have to slide help his way, and he is capable of taking on those big behemoths inside that have both a lot of power and can bull rush. And look, a guy like Calais Campbell, I think a future Hall of Famer, always going to be a test. Somewhat diminished skills, but still so much savvy. showed up. Last week showed up, had some great defensive plays. So always going to be a test for a guy like Daniels. But if I had to pick anybody on that line to go against Calais Campbell, I would say Daniels is the one I'd stand up with the best really? hope. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Peters, right. but again, Campbell's not going to play outside that much. Um, so Yeah.
4: That's true enough. All right. I'm sorry we have to probably pick up the pace a little bit, but let's talk about the wide receiving core. Talk a little bit about what each brings to the offense. And you can include the tight ends of this group too.
5: (laughs) Yeah, I'd love to include the tight ends as receivers. Unfortunately, the coaching staff doesn't think that's what they do. (laughs) Uh, But no, Allen Robinson um, has been a great player. And when we certainly on Bears of our Beers have been an Allen Robinson stand podcast, we're so happy when he signed, really thinks he... He brings everything you need in a sort of 1A receiver, has not been there this year, has just not looked like the same guy. Chicago refused to resign him to an extension, which put him into sort of a lame duck year. Um, They really haven't shown any interest. There was some animosity between the camps there, Um, and it seems to have carried over. He just hasn't been playing with the same... Passion and verve. He's a great contested catch guy. Play down the field, he can play short, he can do it all, but um, didn't have a ton of rhythm with Dalton and has been slow to develop a, r- a rhythm with Fields again because Fields didn't have a rep with the one. So Alan Robbins is kind of one of those guys that a lot of fans will know, um, but is not having a tremendous impact this year. Darnell Mooney is the number two, but sort of the de facto 1A in terms of targets. Very fast player out of Tulane, fifth rounder last year, runs very good routes, and plays surprisingly tough in the run-blocking game for a guy that's not um, physically super large. Um, I think he's got a long-term future in Chicago. Uh, third receiver's been a bit surprising. They brought in, again, both Marquise Goodwin, Tamir Bird. Um, they drafted Daz Newsome. Uh, None of those guys has received a lot of targets. Again, Chicago hasn't had the ability to throw, so they haven't had a lot of pass reps throughout live game action. Um, Goodwin made a few catches over the last few weeks. Demir Bird's been a complete no-show. Daz Newsom broke his collarbone early in camp and really hasn't seen the field, um, even though he is back and cleared to play. Um, He's been a healthy scratch for a few weeks. So, really, it's kind of Darnell Mooney and not much else, because, again, uh, I alluded to it, but the The staff really doesn't think of the tight end as a receiving position. Cole Komet just started to get targets and catches uh, over the last couple of weeks. We mentioned Jimmy Graham was riding at two targets up until two weeks ago. He had some catches against the Steelers. Um, They brought in Jesse James. They've targeted him some in the red zone, but he's not a true receiving threat. They really brought him in to be a blocker. Um, They've got Jesper Horstead, who I like a lot. But um has shown some great reps in the preseason, um, had a couple of game, had one game last year, the the Jesper Horstead game where he actually broke open a bunch of receiving yards, um, but hasn't cracked the field as a starter this year. So the receiving core is not what I would call formidable.
4: Okay, now Go back to Mooney for a second, since he really seems to be playing the best this year. Smaller guy at 5'9", 175. Uh, is he a guy who plays a lot in the slot, or does he still play wide in the, in the way the Bears line up?
5: They've been playing him outside. Everybody said slot guy, and what he really showed over the development in his rookie season was he wasn't just a slot guy, and he can win outside. He can win against press, which is what every rookie receiver has to face when they get to the NFL, usually a lot more than they do in college. Mooney showed a lot of savvy. In releases and routes, and that let him be flexible for the staff to be able to play outside, um, has has had success against bigger corners. Uh, famously, there's quite a few uh, TikTok videos of him burning Jalen Ramsey on a route because he mm-hmm. got away from Ramsey at the line, one of the best press corners in the game, um, and was able to get him turned around, put him in a blender Um, Got free. Uh, Unfortunately, the quarterbacks overthrew him last year. Uh, But Mooney is a guy that's got a lot more skills, I think, than anybody, including me. I was a big Darnell Mooney fan, but didn't think his game was as nuanced and developed. Really showed that he learned quickly uh, and developed as a rookie, and that's why I think he's got a future in Chicago. All right. Terrific. He'll certainly face some aircraft carrier
4: corners with the uh, with the Ravens. I, I, I missed it. Did you talk about the tight ends in this group?
5: Yeah, tight ends are uh, so Cole Kometh the starter uh, after that. Largely, Jesse James is a blocker. They've used Jimmy Graham very sparingly and Jesper for Horstead, almost none. All right. All right. Uh, Let's go into
4: the backfield then. Uh, Running back, first of all, do do they like to use a fair amount of 21, or are
5: they primarily a team that plays without a fullback and a lot of 11? They are not a fullback team. Uh, They will occasionally slide uh, a different tight end who's injured at the moment, J.P. Holtz, sort of as a de facto age. But I don't think they have one straight-eye lead-blocking run play in the playbook. You just don't see it. They don't have a true fullback on their roster. Um, They're going to run single back or occasionally double back in a pistol, uh, but neither of them is a blocker.
4: OK, so they, they do have run a little bit of pistol this year. I was going to wonder about that with Fields. Do they play true mesh point where where Fields is doing a read option? What are they
5: doing with that? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't for the first couple of games. And that was part of the outcry was, how are you not running any RPO game with Justin mm-hmm. Fields and that skill set? And they really didn't. Um, and then they did it and they did it badly. <laughs> the first year, the first game that they brought RPO in, which was th- Fields' third start, um, it looked forced. I put out a tweet that said, Bill laser, the offensive coordinator looked like he ran down to 7-Eleven and said, give me your RPO plays. I got to run some. (laughs) Um, It didn't look well-practiced. It wasn't very successful because it wasn't very well executed. Um, So they've kind of gone away from that and they're back to more PA, right? They're back to straight play action because that is field strength. Like
4: under, under center play action or pistol.
5: They've he's been under center more, which is interesting because he was almost, he had almost no under center snaps playing at Ohio state. Like, but it's, it's turn
4: your turn your back to the defense play action as opposed to uh, uh, what do I call it forward. Fa- all other forward facing fakes, which can just be a hand check to a running back coming by in the pistol. Sure. Or it could be a yeah. correct
5: when they're bringing when they're when they're moving Justin Fields under center and they got David Montgomery behind him. It is a true turn your back and pivot. And Fields has mm-hmm. great footwork. He's quick enough to do that. And then he has the arm to deliver.
4: Good reacquisition of the field for fields that that he's a, a player who's able to do that. Because it's a, one of the reasons they changed with Lamar Jackson, I believe, although they've never gone out, come out and stated that, from a pistol to a sidecar. I mean, the Ravens offense was terrific in 2019 with pistol, but they moved to sidecar and they almost never play pistol anymore. I think because it allows Lamar Jackson to keep staring at the defense and keep reading it as the play's running there and he was having some other issues with with turning to the wrong side in pistol you've probably seen this out of some young quarterbacks that uh, you have a busted play every once in a while that occurs because they forget left or right
5: indeed or or mix it up in their head or their or the running back does and it, it looks bad any of those ways uh two of the things that help Justin Fields as he's moved under center because, again, he didn't have a lot of experience there. But the the two real positives for him are that great memory uh, and pre-snap reads. He's very smart. He understands they've they've instituted a little bit more pre-snap motion to help him figure out what that defense is. Once he sees that, he can kind of lock that picture in his mind. Um, Very good at holding where all the players are and anticipating where they're going to be. And what he's starting to get now is how fast that happens. That was, you know that was famously what was getting him. And he is a guy that under pressure starts to slow down a little bit. He doesn't panic and play too fast. There's kind of two reactions to young players under pressure. One is panic and just chuck it. And the other one is kind of slow down. And then you'll see those players early on taking sacks. They shouldn't. Um, he's more of the slow down because he's, I'd say he's almost overthinking it. He's thinking about all the options, um, but those qualities really help him with Turn the back, play action game. And boy, if you bite, and he gets single coverage, he can deliver.
4: All right. So one of the things that we've seen from the Ravens these last few weeks is is a lot of breakdowns in coverage. Uh, How how can Fields attack a defense to try and see if he can encourage some of those?
5: Well, one is eye discipline for sure, right? I I think all defenses, whether they say it or not, are going to treat a rookie with a little bit less respect in terms of eye Mm -hmm. discipline. And Fields is good. At keeping his head to one side, knowing full well he's going back to the other side, and that'll be the first thing they probably won't expect that. Um, it won't last very long. couple of <laughs> Couple of good completions, and they'll start treating him uh, more as an equal with with eye discipline. Um, the other thing is he can just challenge you with his arm. Like they're they're going to believe that they're in good coverage until he completes balls into tight windows, which he can and does do, and then they're going to again say. Damn, like, you know, step and a half is not enough. It's got to be a step because he, I was right there and he still fitted in. Um, he's got a good velocity and great location. Um, if, he's, if he throws from almost any platform, especially a set platform, uh, it's hard to keep up. He has enough velocity that even 20, 30 yards down the field, a step and a half is not going to get it in coverage. Um, you get a couple of those completed, you're going to see those defensive backs start to play with a little bit more respect and a little bit more fear, right? If you know that's possible, you got to be right in your steps. You can't take a step in the bucket. You, you know, you can't be shading over to help that safety that's been having a rough time for the last couple of weeks. You got to, you got to all play your assignment or he will find it. Um, So that's probably how in terms of scheme, I'd love to say that the coaching staff has seen those breakdowns and has a tremendous plan for how to exploit those given (laughs) past performances. I do I don't have a lot of confidence in that. I have more confidence in Fields' natural ability to play quarterback with his arm and his head to really make those breaks hurt.
4: Okay. Even coming off a of bye week like the Bears are. Bears, Bears didn't play, right, last Sunday? No. so No, it was Bears so bye. Mini bye for the Ravens with the Thursday night game. Even coming off a game like that and seeing the way that things have broken down for the Ravens in the secondary... Still no. No,
5: the the offensive game planning for Chicago is not what I would call a strength. It's been better since laser took over play calling, but play calling is not game planning. It's not putting the plays Mm -hmm. together. I still believe that's fair, you know, firmly in Matt Aggie's purview. He always says it's a team activity. They have not been terribly clear about whose role is what, um, with the exception of saying, Bill Laser's calling plays, so Nagy didn't take all the heat anymore. and Bill Lazor is better. Play calling is an art, and Nagy is not a great play caller. He is a decent play designer from what I can see, but he just doesn't have that sense of when and where, and what the balance is, and which lever to pull at what point of the game to really keep the other team off balance. Laser's better at that, but... It's still not enough to inspire me to say, oh, yeah, the Bears are absolutely going to take advantage of that.
4: So uh, have they been good at adapting as the game is going on? Because that's one thing you want to see in an offensive coordinator. obviously. You
5: really do. And their second half adjustments uh, on offense have not been very inspiring. And you can just see that from the point total. I mean, they're in the. They're in the late 20s in pretty much every offensive metric you want to see in terms of efficiency, yards over expected, um, you know, pass efficiency, run efficiency, overall points, points scored. It's all in the 20s, 23, 28, 27. Like, this is not a good offense. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move over to the defensive side of the ball. And the first question I always like to ask is, uh, what are the most common pass defense looks? So we, in particular, on third down and six, seven, eight, what are we going to see from the Chicago Bears? They, do they use two
5: inside linebackers? We're going we're to see a dime primarily. What do we see? You're going to see two inside linebackers, and that comes more from personnel um, through most of the season in obvious passing situations. Obviously, Roquan Smith is going to stay on the field. He is a linebacker that's capable in the pass game. And a sort of late preseason addition, Alec Ogletree uh, was the other guy that really displaced Danny Trevathan in those two linebacker looks. Ogletree sprained his ankle, didn't play last week. Um, Haven't seen the injury report yet as we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, It'll be really interesting to see whether or not Ogletree's healed up enough to play because he does have more mobility in the pass game. Trevathan is not strong against anything but the sort of short and between the hashes passes. He is not a guy that's going to get out. He is not a guy that's going to run down the seam. As a result, his snap count's been pretty low this year. But that's typically the linebacker setup you're going to see. As for Sean Desai, the new defensive coordinator this year, who has been with the Bears for six years. So through three regimes, Sean Desai has survived. Um, He is the head man on defense and really... His lessons are from Fangio and Staley. He was uh, Brandon Staley was the inside linebackers coach on a staff that Sean DeSai was familiar with. So he's going to run that two-high safety look. He is not a single-high guy for the most part. Um, you will see Jackson and whoever the other safety is. Again, Jackson didn't play last week because he was hurt. So Bears are a little under man in the secondary. Then um, that's where you're going to see guys like DeAndre Houston Carson. But you're going to see two-high safety looks. Okay, now I know I'm getting old.
4: When Alec Ogletree is now 30 years old, because it seems like yesterday he came out of school. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but but a guy, a, a guy who is not the player he once was, I think is fair to say. Um, what does he still do well in terms of the snaps he plays
5: yeah when he was healthy it was a bit of a revelation because he was a true street free agent they did not sign him off another team or really when he was released he just hadn't been signed in the free agency period yet and they signed him late they signed him like the third preseason game uh, which was the last one this year so it was a late addition and um, his reps through camp after that point really earned him the starting job because again pass defense is the primary defense uh, in the NFL now and he's better at that than Trevathan. It's a little sad that a street free agent who is 30 years old, who's been a journeyman was automatically the default starter, but that was the case. He played better than anybody on the roster and honestly played pretty well. Still moves decently in the pass game. Um, His run fits are decent, but not what I would call strong. He's not a force against the run, but he's not going to generally choose the wrong gap and give up a 25 yard gain. Um, So I would say he's solid there, but in pass coverage, hmm. I would say short to medium, Uh, again, not a guy that's going to run with somebody like Travis Kelsey deep down the seam. Um, But in short to medium, he's been surprisingly effective against the pass. And it's funny which fan base you talk to about Alec Ogletree, because if you say Mm -hmm. it to Giants fans, they're like, he's trash. Right, He played terribly within the Giants system, and it was just wasn't a fit for him. All Giants fans think Alec Ogletree is a huge bust and will disappoint you. <laughs> if you talk to Rams fans, they have maybe mixed opinions. If you talk to Bears fans, they think he's a really good linebacker because that's just how they've seen him play.
4: All right. Well, fair enough. The, the uh, With the Chats last year, I don't think that he had that great a, a, a rep as uh, you know being that. But the New York fans probably hated him already, uh, so it, did, it didn't really matter that much. Uh, the... Uh, the thing I always look for in an inside linebacker is awareness of what's happening between level two and level three. I, I, where are the bears linebackers in terms of that kind of awareness? Cause the Ravens linebackers, other than, than binds do not have it at all. Yeah. Uh, like literally players become invisible
5: when they go behind. Oh, uh, well, Roquan has it. Roquan is an excellent player, definitely living up to his high draft status and, and continuing to improve. He's a guy that can go forward, can go backward. Um, He was even he's even been straight up uh, wide receiver coverage this year. Occasionally for Sean Desai and Sean's comfortable letting him do that because he's got enough speed to get sideline to sideline. He understands what's happening behind him. Um, Ogletree has some of that as well, but he's also going to have that release point where it's very clear that I'm giving this to the safety because I'm I'm out of gas. I'm not supposed to be 15 yards deep in sprinting. Um, uh, And those are the two guys that play the most Trevathan. Uh, he has great awareness. He doesn't have the ability to get there anymore, so it really doesn't matter. He can he can point and say that guy's coming, but he's not going to make a play on that ball anymore. Um, so those are the three linebackers that are going to play the most. the The Bears will drop their edge rushers, which they consider linebackers, list as linebackers in coverage. Uh, they'll do it with Quinn. They'll do it with Mac when he's healthy. Mac's not probably healthy for this game. He's probably going to be listed as doubtful. I doubt very much he'll play. It's really a week or two till he's back at full strength. But they. Will drop their ends. They were doing it with Jeremiah Adahochu before he was hurt. Um, guys, they run off the edge. They will drop in short in short coverage to take those little diagonal routes away. Um, those uh, very famous little block and release routes by tight ends. Um, they will mm-hmm. they will drop the edge players to do that, uh, much to the chagrin of Chicago fans who think that all edge rushers should only go forward every down. Uh, but you will see oh. that as well. Um, behind that, again, more than five yards that that's not edge territory. So behind them is not going to be. So it's really Roquan in terms of that deep third um, awareness. He's very good at it. Other than that, okay. I wouldn't bet him.
4: All right, fair enough. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the pass rush scheme and personnel. Maybe go across uh, front four or front five when they when they show that kind of look uh, in terms of the players.
5: Yeah, I'd <laughs> I'd love to uh, beginning beginning in the season. You know, any pass rush with Chicago starts off with Khalil Mack. He's been banged up enough to be out. He's played banged up quite a bit in Chicago. This is enough that they said, "Look, we're giving you." three to four weeks off. We're not trying to bring you back before that, which is also very rare because this is a staff that loves the term day to day. Um, (laughs) And they very clearly said, look, he's going to miss almost a month. Um, So interior, if we're talking about pass rush, Akeem Hicks is their best pass rushing defensive tackle. Eddie Goldman is their true nose tackle. Um, If they're bringing in again, another defensive uh, tackle, they'll bring in Bilal Nichols uh, on say, nickel or dime downs to play next to Hicks. uh, Or Angelo Blackson, the guy I mentioned earlier, because he's a big guy, but he's got a surprising amount of mobility. So He he primarily backs up Hicks, but occasionally plays with him on the inside. Uh, On the outside, it would be Khalil Mack, but instead it's going to be Travis Gibson, uh, who is a guy they went out and got last year as a rookie from Tulsa. Uh, Had a really good game earlier in the season. Is not a guy that uh, I think is at a level yet in his development where solo without help or a guy like Khalil Mack drawing coverage uh is going to be super effective and then Quinn on the other side again hurt last year didn't really show what he could do this year has come out on fire and was over the first month of the season easily the best defensive I'll call him defensive line player, even though they list him as a linebacker. Um is certainly the best pass rush player on Chicago by far, um, both in production and pressures, hurries, hits, um, has dropped off a little bit, but is still playing pretty well. Getting to that point, though, at his age, they need to rotate him out for some snaps, and that's tough because they just don't have a lot of other guys. I mentioned Jeremiah Adaochu, who was a primary backup earlier. He tore his pec. He's out. Um, so they're a little bit understaffed, and that pass rush has dropped off because of it. And unfortunately, secondary is not good enough to keep up with that.
4: I, I did want to ask you about defensive rotation on the defensive line. So have they been pretty good about not, and I, I, think of this as being a bear strength from the past, about not really overplaying individuals?
5: On the inside, more successful. Uh, They're definitely, you can tell Akeem Hicks is on a bit of a snap count, uh, which is good. He needs to be. Um, He's a guy that wants to play all the time, but at his age, he's going to be less effective, especially deep in the season, if you don't manage his workload now. Getting guys like Blackson, getting guys like Tonga, who primarily backs up Eddie Goldman, but can come in um, and show a little bit of pass rush on third and long if they need to get Akeem of break. Um, Bullall Nichols uh, hasn't continued to develop. He came out of the gate crazy well as a rookie, sort of leveled off and has regressed a little bit. On the interior, they're rotating okay. On the exterior, just because of injuries to Mack, to Ada uh, to those guys, it's getting a little bit thin, and some of those guys are, are having to play to the point where they're tired, and that's going to kill the effectiveness of the outside pass rush.
4: It looks to me like Nichols is the guy who's played about the most snaps of the interior guys, about 40 snaps a game. that match with. Yeah, because
5: he can play in either spot depending on down. Again, he can be a down lineman. Uh, They can bring him in as a true defensive end if they're running a three down front and they do that. Um, So and occasionally they'll just line him up as a straight nose and say, look, eat some, you know. Give Eddie a break if if Keuris is ready or if Chris is ready to go. Um, so he is a jack of all trades, and because of that, his snap counts up
4: all right all right terrific uh, you took us through the dl there i think we talked about the linebackers a little bit earlier the off-ball linebackers so take us through the secondary and go across the the shell from left to right
5: yeah uh <laughs> so we'll start with jalen johnson because i love jalen johnson and he is the shining star of the secondary for chicago the starting outside corner uh drafted out of utah two years ago came in and played immediately very very well and has continued to do so um the one sort of true thing that you can count on in the second um, the Bears famously let Kyle Fuller go. He ended up signing with Vic Fangio in Denver. Um, and that left the other outside spot as a real question mark. They have chosen to fill it with Kendall Vildor, um, fifth rounder from a couple of years ago out of George Southern. Uh, on the short side to play outside corner, uh, in my opinion, and has not had tremendous success, has allowed A lot of yards, Uh, not too many touchdowns, but the efficiency throwing against Kendall Vildora has been really good. PBU numbers really low, um, has not been a force. Um, definitely somebody that the opposition is picking on, um, So that's, mm, we'll just go with not great. Um, the safeties, you would think that Eddie Jackson is again, the real strength and he has played quietly very well in pass coverage. He is famously not a good tackler. Um, unfortunately made some comments to the press earlier about, Hey, you don't need to tackle. You just need to make turnovers. Unfortunately, he hasn't been doing either. And now he's hurt. Um, opposite him at the other safety spot playing too deep is Tayshawn Gibson so there are two T Gibsons on this defense one safety one defensive edge Um, Mm -hmm. Gibson is a more effective box player Uh, again his pass against numbers are not pretty. Um, pretty much everybody has success against him. He's been banged up a little bit. Again, that means you're bringing in DeAndre Houston Carson. Uh, Deion Bush has been subbing in. Deion Bush was also banged up. So they're pretty thin along the back. They've been playing some of their larger corners, uh, like Marquis Christian in sort of safety roles. Xavier Crawford's rotated in. The true nickel right now is Duke Shelley. Um, and he's played okay. Again, a later round guy. They got him in the sixth a couple of years ago. He was hurt uh, during his career at uh, Kansas State. Um, has showed flashes, but boy, not somebody you want a primary matchup against some of the you know, best slot Big, especially big slot-wide receivers, even in the division, um, Duke Shelley's just not a match for them. And, and his defensive pass efficiency statistics say that, that he's not a shutdown guy. So the bottom line is this secondary gets by on the pass rush. When the pass rush is working, they can look okay. When the pass rush starts to stall out, good quarterbacks are going to take advantage of them at almost any spot.
4: One of the things that came up on our By the Numbers show this week was just how bad both these teams are at protecting the quarterback. Uh, The Ravens are terrible at it. They've allowed an 8% or something sack rate on the year, but the Bears are even worse. They were (laughs) up close to 10%. And uh, some of that has to do with the quarterback, the quality of the quarterbacks, because I know this is true of Jackson. I really don't know in terms of fields that Jackson really will attempt to gamble and get a runoff. And that will often end up being an S minus two S minus one or S zero, which is not that big a deal. Sure. You know, it's, 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 he he goes down. He he usually doesn't get hurt doing so where quarterbacks take big hits is when they take quarterback hits, they're in the act of, uh, of throwing. And that's, that's when it can get really ugly in in terms of the, the injury risk. How has fields been in terms of his awareness and, and willingness to take risk on getting a run versus taking a short sack?
5: That's a great question. And, uh, I would say that is TBD because the first couple of weeks, he literally was getting less than two seconds on more than 60% of the rushes. So it was really not even hit your third or fifth step on that you know five-step PA drop and getting hit before he could even survey the field. So the numbers look really bad and rightfully so they should. Uh, it's also not a great couple of games to look at the film and try and assess anything because nobody's going to do great he's he's not even getting a chance to set the last couple of weeks have been a better look at that because again they've gotten a little bit more in their a little bit more exotic in their pass protection and i would also say a little bit more realistic a lot less pure five-man protections um some fun things like tight ends pulling across the formation to pick up rushers off the other side a little bit more sophistication um and Fields has managed that really well. He understands those protections very well for starters. So he will see the weak areas. Doesn't look to run first. He is a solidly, I am not a running first quarterback. But if you give him a gap, he's got 4 4 speed. He can take advantage of it for a lot of yards. Um, I don't think he's as savvy or nuanced as Lamar, who I think is. One of the best, if not the best in the business at doing exactly what you were talking about, which is I think I can squeeze out of here. Lamar's got a little bit more initial quickness than just about mm-hmm. anybody in the league, um, certainly more than Fields. Fields is fast, but he's not super quick. Lamar is super quick, and that allows him to, to gamble and have that pay off a lot in that particular situation.
4: By the way, just I, I don't I don't like to contradict people at all, but I would say that Fields and Lamar, there's almost no difference in speed. What's really special about Lamar is what was special about Gail Sayers is he reads leverage better than virtually any player in NFL history. Uh, he, he literally will make you miss time after time again by, you know, a, a milliseconds better. Uh, read of that defender in terms of when he's on the wrong foot, and that's all you need. It's like Muhammad Ali; it you know it was so hard for Sonny Liston to hit him. It's that same sort of uh, thing you're looking at with Lamar Jackson. So, I you know I, I don't think Fields is honestly any slower.
5: Uh, I would Lamar. say I think sp- speed is. Higher. I would say speed is the same. I would say quickness, mm-hmm. which is really acceleration. Lamar, okay. I would say, has a clear advantage. I, I think, yeah, in a flat out, like straight up, fifty yard race. Once they hit top end, nobody would pull away from each other. But Lamar gets to that top end more quickly. Your point about leverage is super well taken. We got to see him live um, week one. We were down at Allegiant Stadium, see Ravens on the road and that great overtime game against the Raiders. And he's there isn't any other way to put it. Um, he's special. He's just special in so many ways, and that's one of them.
4: All right, well, it's been fantastic. Always deep, informative, love these discussions, the franchise-building topics I always tend to spend too much time on because that's something I also love. But I, let's not go for any score predictions, but just give me a player maybe on each side of the ball that matches up very well against the Ravens.
5: Oh, That's a great question. Um, unfortunately, one of the ones on offense, uh, we've talked a lot about Fields, so I won't use him. It's a guy that's currently in the second running back role, which is Khalil Herbert. And I think if the Bears try and get that wide zone outside zone game going, uh, their line looks a lot better run blocking than they do pass blocking. And that's not a backhanded compliment because they're so bad at pass blocking. When they start going forward, they actually are really pretty good and can assert their will. And Herbert is, I'm not going to use a special tag yet. He is very good for a rookie uh, at doing the things he needs to maximize every run um i'd love to see him get some carries uh even against the ravens defense which is you know formidable against the run could be a really fun matchup um fascinated to see mooney but i'll say Khalil herbert in the backup running back role because there's we talked about it wide receiver core not a ton there on defense um i want to see jalen johnson and where they put him Right. I want to see who they put him on. I would love to see some quality Jalen Johnson on Rashad Bateman reps (laughs) like that. That could be a lot of fun. Um, I think Jalen will win more than his fair share, although I really like Rashad. Jalen's got a little bit more experience uh, and Rashad's just getting up to speed after that injury. Still going to be a great matchup. I wouldn't be surprised to see each of them win some. And that's just great NFL football viewing right there.
4: Now, you probably watch a lot of All-22 on the Bears, and obviously I, I don't have that kind of background with the Bears, but one of the things that has been very impressive about Bateman in his first few games is that he is selling something at the top of the route, and the opponent is often buying. We really saw Pittman just destroy Anthony Averitt. They moved him closer to the inside of the field, really right over the left numbers mm-hmm. as the outside X receiver, and, and he got to the top of the route, and he made Averitt, take the wrong first step just about every time, or a lot of times, let's put it that way. Bateman has some of that in him because he runs a lot of the route trade regularly. And so the question is, is is Johnson the kind of player who will be able to not bite on that good first move?
5: He may bite on some of them, but he is a very savvy corner, both mentally and physically. And I say that you talk about leverage with Lamar, Jalen's use of leverage early in his career was one of those things that made folks that weren't familiar with his tape from Utah sort of stand up and take notice like, hey, a lot of this is teach tape about where his hips are, about where his feet are, about what he doesn't do um, before the receiver leads him into it. Um, That's what receivers want to do is get you to commit One way or another. It doesn't matter which way they make you do it because then they can do the other thing. Jalen is incredibly neutral. Um, He's also very physical. You don't find that combination in big outside corners very often where they're both things. They're patient, but then when they trigger, they are amazingly physical, uh, both against routes, and against the run um one of the reasons he's a great complete all-around corner a lot of fun to watch so uh keep your eye on him because he's going to he's going to provide you with some decent plays this week to say oh okay yeah that that guy knows what he's doing
4: all right. Be looking for that for sure. So it great talking to EJ, uh, take us through again, where people can find your work on Twitter, where they can talk football with you
5: and then where they can find your podcast. Absolutely. So Twitter is my main vehicle for connecting with fans. I am at the draftsman FB as in football, um, and that, of course, will lead you to the other sources, which is Bootleg Football, which you can find by just typing in Bootleg Football on YouTube.com or wherever you consume your podcasts. Uh, Bears Over Beers podcast is a little bit harder to find because it's on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel. But again, if you go to YouTube, we're now doing video episodes there, so you can type in Bears Over Beers. You'll find our episodes on the Windy City channel there. Um, that's most of my output, um, occasionally on other guest spots, but as we get into draft season, uh, I'll be, I'll be bopping around. I've been in the draft game for about 10 years now, almost 11. And, uh, that's, that's really how I got started and the thing that keeps driving me forward. So we'll be at, uh, the senior all-star games. We'll be at the Shrine Bowl, Senior Bowl this year. Um, maybe the Pro Bowl, we'll see, but, uh, yeah, bopping around, trying to make myself useful and, uh, like you said, enjoying getting to meet people like you, um, other really smart football fans, that's that's what pays it off for me is there's so many good people in the industry, in fandom, uh, and getting to share and interact with them and, and go back and forth with opinions is the thing that keeps me going.
4: Yeah, tremendously fun To do that I love that part Of the business too EJ uh, Really appreciate it Folks out there If you're listening And you want to be On a 25 years pod Or having a loving Look back at the 25 years of Ravens history uh, Send me a couple Bullets on it Or just you, What your idea For an episode is Any kind of quirky uh, Niche uh, Historical element Of the Ravens Of course we're not Looking for the Mount Rushmore That's been discussed To death We're, we're looking for You know I want to talk about Rashawn Melvin Was one episode That'd be terrific uh, If Uh, if you have that sort of thing just send me i'll get back to you very quickly Uh, ej thanks again for joining to uh, joining us
5: hey thanks so much for having me this has been a ton of fun
4: and we'll talk to you next time on film study